You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. This is our last edition of Weekend Conversations for 2023. Each week, we'll take a deeper dive into an article or interview that we shared during the week, generally a Friday forward. This week, it will be several Friday forwards. And joining me to do this is Mick, the co-producer of the Elevate podcast. Happy holidays, Mick. Happy holidays to you and uh, happy new year. Just could be a couple days away. Yeah, we're ready to, ready to close out the year with our uh, Friday forward recap, which is called Final Four, fittingly. Yeah, so this Friday Forward is a fun angle, and it's something that you tend to do every year of sharing some of the highlight posts of the year. But this time, you did something a little different, which was talking about Friday Forwards that captured some of the big stories that defined the year. So before we get into those stories, I just want to ask kind of broadly, what are some things you'll remember most about 2023? I'll remember crisis management um for sure to me it's kind of been a a year of reinforcing how the importance of expectations i think people came into the year with expectations oh rates will be lower things will get better and so they were kind of planning for the worst and 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 maybe they were hoping for the best And, and as the year went on you know we had all kinds of different socio political economic technological uh, things going on. And and by the end of the year, I think, you know, appreciably for a lot of folks, things didn't get a lot better. And and as they head into next year, they've stabilized from all the up and down and supply and demand shocks that we've had to, to kind of deal with. But I think it's flipped. And next year, I, I just get a sense that people are kind of planning for the worst and hoping for the best. And And I think expectations may be actually low next year. We may actually be in a position to exceed them. Because people have kind of given up on the quick fix. Um, it's going to get better. It's going to be fine or otherwise. And some things are just hard and, and challenging. So, yeah, there's been a lot of lot of stuff going on this year. And we'll, we'll get into some of the, the good ones, uh, the four that we picked. So let's get into some of the stories shared in the post. Uh, first is crisis communication, which talks about the Silicon Valley bank collapse and how leaders discuss the impact of that situation. What are some key qualities of effective crisis communications in your mind? Yeah, so first of all, that was a week in my life that I won't get back as I had a, a ton of accounts at, at one of the subsidiary banks that Silicon Valley Bank had bought. And I was personally caught up with this as were several different businesses. Um, so first of all, there was no real good communication from Silicon Valley Bank that this was even a risk going into it. But given the number of businesses that I deal with, also, I'm in a number of investments and private investments and real estate investments for which SVB was the sort of prominent bank. The one thing I noticed was when this actually really got bad on Thursday, a couple of these investments were like sending emails saying, here's our exposure, here's what we're doing, here's how we're we're opening things. And they were just like ahead of the game, full 100% transparency some of which was not great news, right? But I think this is similar to what we talked about last time. Like, you get one chance to kind of make a first impression and to control the narrative here. And as he went into the weekend, what was interesting was I knew of a lot of businesses, I knew of several in particular, that were like entirely dependent on this. They were not going to be able to make payroll come Monday and Tuesday. There was going to be second and third ordinary, particularly in the affiliate space, 
where they had payment money. This was going to cause like a disaster. And these organizations hadn't communicated at all. Now, they got a free pass when uh, the Federal Reserve stepped in and sort of backstopped everything the next week. But I, I will say that I, I will have a long memory um, for how the different folks that I dealt with kind of handled that. I, I think those investments that were proactive continue to be some of the best ones I'm in and the best managers. And they generally are proactive about it. They're the ones who report really well. They're the ones who tell you the good news, the bad news, all that stuff. I just have a, such a higher level of trust in them. I think I think we actually had a huge mulligan on a bunch of case studies on places where they were not honest with their partners or employees or otherwise, and they didn't know what the hell they were going to do come Monday. So I think that a really good dynamic to double click on there is that when there's a rapidly developing story and a lot of incomplete information, like we saw with the SVB collapse, I think in a crisis, a lot of leaders struggle with the dilemma of whether to get in front of their stakeholders without the complete story just to reassure people and to give all the information that they have versus some people saying, let's not get out there and like jump the gun. Let's wait yeah. until we know everything and then we can say everything. How do you evaluate the balance between those two approaches? Yeah, look, I, I've always said, like, we have an open book policy in the company. And I've always said we pretty much communicate anything that we are clear on. Something that is not complete or half-baked or otherwise that would cause more problems or confusion, that's the stuff that we hold back until it's figured out because we don't think it's going to help. The difference is, in those cases, the market might not be looking for that information, right? They might not know that we're about to complete an acquisition, but we just can't, don't have all the information to share everything. Or we're about to make a big change to our healthcare benefit, but we need to get some more information before they do that. Like, there's no one sitting there anticipating. Those are just things that we know that we haven't communicated yet because we don't feel like, we feel like more clarity would make it better and now it could just make it worse. It's different when the market is clamoring for it or looking for it and you're just not responding. In those situations, I think it's much better to, you know, try to own it. There's I as I always say, there's always a best version of the truth and, and try to communicate with people about what you do know, or at least that you're in control and you're looking at it. Because their assumption might be that you're not in control and you're not paying attention. You're asleep at the wheel if they don't if they don't hear anything. And we talked about this, I think, in a recent weekend conversation just about a little bit around Stockdale Paradox and, and during COVID when companies who didn't communicate that things were problematic to employees up front were mostly in a position to blindside them a few weeks later. And the ones that did do that, well, it caused a little bit of trauma or discouragement or discern around, around people, uh, at least they felt like they were in the loop and they knew what was going on. I think that that is such a good litmus test that you just supplied is thinking about it from the perspective of not what you as the leader know, but what does your audience know? And so like the case that you were saying with Silicon Valley Bank, anyone who was affected by that, any bank leader should have assumed that all of their customers were watching the story thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to my deposits with this bank? And that is the case where, as you said, if people already are worried and they don't have complete information anyway, you're not going to make it worse by just coming out and showing that there is a steady hand that is monitoring the situation. Yeah, they, 
it doesn't make it better. Um, I think that's the key problem around this is that avoiding it doesn't making better. Look, one of my investments was was basically like all of our cash is tied up into this, and here is the worst case scenario. One had modeled out every portfolio of the company they invested in. I just had faith in those people that they were going to figure it out and that they were on it, and I was betting on their leadership um, versus again, hearing nothing and saying, oh, well, it's either there's no issue or it's really bad. And now look, it's hard to recreate that first impression. First impressions to me are also happen within scenarios or relationship. Like that's a first crisis impression. And it's really hard to get that trust back once it's broken. Yeah. And I think it's such a simple, basic thing that you can do. And I think that this will apply to any professional or even like a personal dynamic if say there's like some startling news with your your life partner for example just saying this is what i know about the situation this is what i'm doing about it right now i'll tell you if anything new happens yeah and look doctors doctors are very good at this and they have to communicate that and they have to just tell the the bad you know you, you, i had a family member that went through this recently and actually they were just a little shocked with the directness of the doctor and all of it but you know, what's worse is not knowing what's going on. Your mind makes up all different sorts of, of narratives. And like I said, I, I think we have a whole bunch of leaders that got just got away with one <laughs> there. Sometimes it works. Sometimes you do the wrong thing and it works in your favor. Yeah. You should never be surprised at what will fill <laughs> an information vacuum. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's the right decision, right? I think a lot of times, like, again, if you drive home drunk and you don't get caught, it doesn't mean it's the right decision. When we look back at decision-making, we should look at, did I make the right choice with all the information that I had at the moment? Sometimes the winds blow in your favor otherwise, and you got, or you got it, you got the one out of 10 time where it worked. But if, if it was the wrong answer for, for nine out of 10 times, then you made the wrong decision. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time. And it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. 
Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. All right, so let's move to another uh, another one called Avoiding Maximalism. And this one discussed one of the biggest topics of the year, which was the AI boom. How do you personally, as someone who monitors this news, think about truth versus hype when you evaluate a transformative new trend like this? I mean, they come together, and there's typically a curve of sort of early adoption where a lot of people don't know what's going on. Now everyone knows about it. Your cab driver's talking about Bitcoin. Your roofer's talking about Bitcoin. And that is usually the top of the th- froth. There's a overfunding. There's a massive collapse. And now it starts to come back upward again, and we figure out the real and long-term implications. I've, I did not live through the Dutch tulips, but you know, I, I lived through the internet bubble. That's what it looked like. I lived through the mortgage bubble. That's what it looked like. I've now lived through the Web3 and crypto bubble, and I assume that AI will uh, be similar. I think that AI is actually executing a little bit on its promise of making being a fundamental improver to things faster than some of those other things. But like any of these things, you know, the people telling you everything's going to change, your life is going to change, all the jobs are going to go away. I mean, think about, you know, we're not five years ago, we're not web three, we're not using dollars. Everything is, uh, is going to be on blockchain. Blockchain is making a changes in a lot of places, a lot of interesting things are, but, but the maximalist version of that world, you know, has not happened. And, you know, AI, like people have careers and things that they like to do and purpose of writing or drawing. So yeah, it will help a lot of these things, but we, I don't think we thought about all of the applications, how it integrates, frankly, the cost of some of these things, the juice isn't worth the squeeze when you get into the cost. And 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 when everyone lets you lose money and suspend belief on a new technology, it, it's not until you have to figure out the real use cases that people will pay for and profitability that you start to sort that out. So look, I'm I'm a huge believer in AI, but if if, if you know there was a point, it does seem to calm down a little bit where my LinkedIn feed, I think before October 7th, was just AI, AI, this tool, that tool. And again, here's a per- one one day it will be this company with this feature is going to knock Adobe out and put them out of business. Well, 
you know, it's a difference between having a feature and having like a million customers that pay a monthly subscription for your software. And then two months later, Adobe just launched that feature. So, you know, <laughs> and suddenly the little feature company is is out of business. So there's always a lot of excitement, creative destruction. I, I just try to stay away from the people who who they always, just like anything, they bring a narrative to every conversation. Like if the only thing that they can talk about is AI and, you know, groceries and AI and this, then then I, I just think they have a little bit of a warped view. Look at groceries uh, stores. They're all going to undo their self-checkouts because they are creating so many problems with backup. Every third transaction doesn't work. The, the loss rate is like 20, 30% on theft. And so it, if you talk to someone years ago, it would be like, there's going to be no cashiers. It's all self-checkout. Well, now there's a lot of unintended consequences and they're undoing the self-checkout. A really interesting thing about this post for me, because I was alive for the dot-com boom, but I wasn't really dialed into what was going on. It's funny to think, because the internet, a lot of the potential of the internet and the transformative power was realized. But if you weren't there, you might not, for example, think that people were saying things like, you'll never use paper again in your life. And some of the like, extreme changes that didn't actually end up coming true. What are the applications of your experience with the dot-com bubble that are really applicable here? Yeah, so I always love the phrase solution in search of a problem, right? And, and are you actually solving a problem that people will pay for? Uh, and I think we saw that in the free money problem in the last decade with certain food delivery and otherwise. They were solving a problem, but not that people would pay for them enough for it to be profitable for. So, I mean, the internet, it, and also it just brings in all the the scam artists, it brings in overfunding. And if you overfund, I mean, I watch subscription commerce and all of these things. If you overfund a section, if the investment community comes in and just pours money and overfunds a a sector, and AI isn't really a sector, there's probably a lot of subsectors within it, everyone will kill each other. Like, and, and eventually like, you know, there's almost everyone loses and and that's what happened. Um, But there were also just people not solving meaningful problems with the internet boom there were some real you know you got google and you got search and you got all kinds of things that came out of it but you had some other stuff that was just silly and people doing oh, there was a company doing online rebates and their whole business model was they were offering ridiculous rebates because they thought people would buy stuff overpriced and then lose a certain percentage of the rebates like that wasn't really an internet business that was sort of like a scam made easier <laughs> by by the internet so it's a lot harder um, then it looks to come up with something that people are willing to pay for and that you can afford to deliver profitably on a scalable basis. People are buying you know, AI chips head over fist right now and paying incredible amount of money and getting billion-dollar valuations after six months and blowing through all that money. But we've seen how that moves from cycle to cycle. And as soon as the money stops, there's a different ex- set of expectation on those companies. Yeah, and going back to the conversation, a previous weekend conversation that we had about sustainable pricing, for example, and that I know it seems like every company is an AI company now and everyone's putting .ai in their URL. But as you were just saying, a lot of these companies, they either don't actually solve a problem that people are willing to pay for or they solve a problem that is useful for people but at too expensive a rate for it to actually be worth it to people. And there's inevitably going to be a like shake out of where a bunch of those are going to die off and 
Yeah, and that's the ones that are at least trying to do something. When you when you have this much of a fervor, it brings in all of the scammers and people that name their companies AI. There was a study two years ago, I think, that forty percent of the companies you know that said they were doing AI weren't even doing machine learning. Like, there's a famous thing where a company five years ago changed its name from Long Island Ice Tea to Long Island Blockchain, and it was an Ice Tea company. Said it was a crypto company, and then all of the insiders sold all of their stock, and now they're all being sued. And they're all going to go to jail. So. When you get this much fervor, you get all kinds of that to me was the like tipping point on blockchain was like the Long Island blockchain. You can go Google this story. It's kind of amazing. But this is what happens when when the the market can't help itself from these people kind of coming in and trying to take advantage of the opportunity. I had not heard that story and I can't believe it. (laughs) Please (laughs) Um, Google Long Island blockchain when you're done. I think you'll find lawsuits. So moving on to something that is a little bit more ground level, but pretty widespread is a post called tipped off. And this was a social trend that you were pretty early on. You and I have had a lot of conversations about this. Where did we go wrong and where did we go off the rails with the tipping thing? Well, you know that this is my my favorite topic. And I started talking about this a few years ago because Danny Meyer was doing an experiment, which I think he's now abandoned on all-inclusive tipping. And I actually in that post talked about where tipping came from and it has really a lot of it's first of all it's it while there's service charges everywhere now the tipping model in the US is kind of unique to the US um it comes from actually slavery uh and when when you gave people tips because you wouldn't pay them it's does all kinds of strange things like puts the compensation in the hands of customers it leads to more discrimination and sexual harassment because people are willing to put up with certain comments and actions because they don't want to give up their tips. So for a thing that people defend, uh, and I understand a lot of people made a lot of money kind of restaurant tips, and and but it doesn't have a great background. And the reason why people get 20%, you know, seems to be automatic at a restaurant is there's a thing called a tipped wage, whereas there's an exclusion below the minimum wage, they get a couple dollars per hour, and it's understood that they make that up through their tips. Um, well, what happened after COVID in particular, was we had a proliferation of takeout and these new point-of-sale machines, POS machines that you see at all these restaurants, uh, whether it's Clover or otherwise. And as you're checking out, they can kind of prompt you for a tip. And I think we all tipped pretty generously on takeout during uh, the pandemic. We knew that these people couldn't work. They didn't have their alcohol sales or otherwise. And it was just a way to help the restaurant. So I think maybe on takeout, it even became standard to tip 20%. But before that, no one ever tipped on on a restaurant. In fact, you probably was a little awkward when they would give you the restaurant receipt and had the tip spot and you'd kind of cross it out. And you'd be like, no, no, it's takeout. Like, I'm not, I'm not tipping. You're kind of handing it to me. And then after COVID, these POSs started rolling out everywhere. We had the ability uh, to put tips on them. And what's kind of shocking was a place like an ice cream place, maybe where you used to would put a dollar in the chip jar. Otherwise, they didn't set them up with, you know, do you want to leave a tip or do you want to leave a dollar or two dollars? They started get setting up with prompts like 15 or 20 or 30 percent. And this would be on fast food quick serve where people are paid regular uh, rate there, where it's not takeout at the restaurant where they're preparing your food, where it's getting your coffee and you're being asked to tip 20 to 30 percent. And as I talked about in the second article, I was like, look, this is just, it just doesn't make any sense. The only reason why we're tipping at places is because they have a new point of sale machine. 
you know, you're not tipping the woman at Delta who just spent a half hour with you on your flight. You're not tipping the retail associate at the store who just spent 20 minutes with you on clothes. You're not tipping my son who works at a ski store and helps people with rentals for 30 minutes uh, at a time. You're not tipping a the, the you know person at the doctor's office who was nice to you and got the so and, and the grocery store or the you know CVS or pharmacy. So we've totally just arbitrarily started adding tipping to places that uh, have these point-of-sale machines. And on top of that, it's this awkward dance where they spin the thing at you. You have to pick it in front of them. You know, you have to try to hide they're watching you. This is just not a good customer experience. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So you you really just laid it all out there. That was <laughs> that was virtuosic uh, on your part. So I I am I have always been very conflicted of this because I'm I'm a very consistent and really try to even from like a karma standpoint, like I really try to overdo it with tipping. And this has really affected me definitely because in a lot of cases like you're describing, if I buy a bottle of water from a <laughs> coffee shop. I feel like a bad person for not giving a 20% tip on that. But at the same time, in a lot of cases, I just like held it up in front of them and they punched in the price. So like they didn't right. even hold the water. So I, I want to home in about on self-checkout. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I want to, I want to home in though on the, the business model side of things and how this is really a leadership thing. Because as you were saying in the piece, this is a case of businesses passing compensation costs onto the customer rather than treating them as like the cost of doing business and the reality with inflation and stuff like that. Yeah. What do you think is the right way to think about this from a leadership perspective? So the problem is we're giving everyone fatigue. We've turned something that was nice and an action about like someone going doing great service and it's become an entitlement. And when things become an entitlement, it's not a great thing. And I think customers are frustrated. They're like, look, I'm not an idiot. I know it's going to cost me 20% more when I go to the restaurant or whatever. So you can't tell me that it's not that people are willing to pay it. So stop with the game. Like, just tell me the price. Like, I hate when UPS and they add fuel charge, surcharge. Well, they never take the fuel surcharge out. Think about if you went to a restaurant and they gave you meat surcharge. Like, generally, like, your business, your problem. You figure out all of that stuff and you tell me the price that it makes and you don't make me pay your employees. I think that's how a lot of people look at it. And I think if you walk, it's an opportunity. This is where leadership, and I've seen some pictures since I posted that, you walk into a pizza place or, and it says, look, we pay our people well and we increased our prices and please no tipping. And I, I think people want to come back to that place and they feel like 
They don't shouldn't need to give someone extra money to get a coffee with a smile. Again, you don't need to tip the person on the airline customer service in order to have them be nice to you. I it just shows how arbitrary it is. We expect good customer service from places where that we're paying money to and 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 are spending money. We don't expect to have to pay their employees. So I, I think most people uh, would really just rather have a price, not have that awkwardness, and bring back tipping to something that is truly for an extraordinary experience or something that was above the ordinary, not for a baseline. My understanding is if you tip a bartender in in like at a pub in the UK, they're like offended. They're like, this is my job. Why are you throwing money at me? Like I'm, I'm paid to do my job. And sort of as I, I projected, um, you're actually seeing the fatigue. First of all, it's like something like 70% of Americans can't stand it. If 70% of your customers don't like something, don't do it. <laughs> That's a pretty good business argument. And then re- tips at full-service restaurants are starting to go down because, again, tipping is now turned into this negative thing and people are fatigued from it. And that really sucks because those are the people that you're in the hour, hour and a half relationship with that are still getting that tip wage and they're trying to change the law. And, and they're suffering from the fatigue from the person at Starbucks who doesn't really need or deserve a tip for handing you a bottle of water. Yeah, and if I think of just a really good basic rule of, of business, I'm not an expert, but if it's bad for your customers and it's bad for your employees, then it's bad. And the sort of tip scope creep, as you call it in the piece, that seemed like it was a good thing for employees. But as time has gone on, now it's probably not. And what would be better is if these types of businesses, like a lot of businesses have had to deal with, with rising cost of living, is that sometimes the dynamics of the economy change and you need to pay people more to reflect that reality change rather than just passing that cost on to your, like, essentially guilting people into giving (laughs) tips on everything. Yeah. Look, there was a coffee place in town that I really enjoy. I shared this picture. I went in last week. Actually, a friend shared the picture with me. I didn't know where it was. And then I was in the same place and I saw it. And it said 10%. This is for handing me a cup of coffee and a muffin. It said 10% good service, 15% great service, 25% best service ever. Like it had these cute little things on the buttons. But I was like, this is so wrong. You're (laughs) handing me a cup of coffee. Like it's just not, these gradations don't make any sense. They're actually more patronizing and, and telling me that I have to tip 30% because you handed me the cup of coffee is the best service ever. It's just, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's dishonest. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, people listening to this don't know me, but be assured, I love tipping. Like there are a few <laughs> things I enjoy more than tipping. When I went on but my honeymoon. Nick's been broken. Yeah. yeah. When I went on my honeymoon <laughs> this year and I stayed at a hotel that had valet for the first time, there was nothing I loved more than getting out of my car and giving <laughs> someone a tip. I had never done it before. I loved it. And so if I can see the point of view that you're that you're expressing in this post, that's a problem. <laughs> like it, it, sure. it just is. So well, cause you liked it because the person was like, oh, thank you. And whatever. And it was, you know, it was not expected. It wasn't awkward and it wasn't, yeah, yeah I, I didn't feel bad about myself. It was your choice. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's going on to the last post. This was called fast factors. And this is a yeah. term that you coined, which is the term fast factor. Unless we figured out someone else coined it and then, you know, I'll be waiting for the lawsuit. But yes, yeah. as far as I know. What, what is a fast factor? 
you know, I had a bunch of these conversations with people that were really smart around an issue. And I think, I, again, the last three months, we've probably seen a lot of these. And they would just fire a bunch of stats at me and notes and kind of, you know, bazooka spray, kind of looking for me to just sort of submit to their opinion. And they sound super smart and on par. I'm like, wow, that's really, that's really bad. Like 80% of people do that. Like, and then when I realized like, I don't look, that could be taken out of context. It could have been a wrong number. There's a whole bunch of things and we give people way too much credit for the quality of their delivery on these things. And so I learned to try to not a, not feel bad about myself. Cause a lot of us, I think feel bad, not maybe get into a discussion without it and say, look, I'm, I, that's interesting. I'm going to actually do some looking into this. And I'll be happy to get back to you on that. And then you dig around and look, we know statistics are, are can be very manipulative and there's a lot of causation and correlation. So when someone tells you, did you know that ice cream causes the murder rate to go up? Well, yes. If you looked at the stats one way, it would tell you that. But if you looked at it a different way, you'd see that when heat <laughs> rises, both murder and ice cream go up because people are out later, um, which causes more problems late at night. So, I have learned after some conversations, even this year, to sort of not engage with the fast factors. Let them have their facts. Look, I have a phone with Google. I start to do some searching around and I sort of come back. I actually, because I felt myself feeling like stupid in a bunch of those situations. And I realized, again, I was responding more to the delivery than necessarily the quality of the information. Yeah, so I, I think we're in an interesting social environment where everyone has their points, everyone has their passion projects or their passion topics. And I think it's become increasingly common for people to be ready for argumentative combat and to have their like three points and be ready for, yeah. They're and, prepared for the debate, but you're not. Yeah, exactly. And you're, and so I actually think to take this a step further, I don't think you even need to talk to a person to run into a fast factor because I would argue that the average social media newsfeed is the ultimate fast factor where you're just yeah. like, this is something that I see with like short videos on things like Instagram reels where I'll see something that's espousing something that seems to be a statistic or a fact. And I don't even know if what I saw is real, but it seemed really <laughs> convincing. And so right. on some level, I think probably my brain kind of believes that. And that's where the comments let you sort out, you know, I've seen people post some stuff and then people are like, this graph is, yeah, some, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Someone, here's a perfect example. Someone on social media posted a graph uh, or a, a map, a 60 or 70 year old map of Palestine. And, and, and there's a lot of thing about where it comes from. And they said, see, like there's no Israel on here or it's Palestine. And then someone pointed out that it had Haifa and Tel Aviv as cities on it. <laughs> Which are, which are Hebrew words. So they sort of just put it out there and they were like case closed. And, and, but if you read in the comments, you know, people had a different map. This map was very misrepresented. And again, irrespective of the issue or otherwise, I just remember this one because this person sort of was like, case closed, here's the map. But if you looked at what people replied and you didn't know, you would have been like, oh. But when you saw all the replies, you realized that the story was very different from this map. Yeah, this is for all of the challenges that people have encountered with X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. The community notes feature, if nothing else, is just incredibly funny because sometimes <laughs> you'll see someone who will post something and say, unbelievable what's happening, the decay in San Francisco. And it's just like a video. And then the community notes will say, note, this is not San Francisco. It's yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's the defense? What's the way to foil the fast factor pressure? 
Yeah, I, I think you just don't concede. And I think you kind of go after the strength. Like, well, that's a lot of facts and information and percentages and stuff there. I, I have no way to know what is true or not true or causation or correlation. So like I'm like we could talk further about this, but I want to kind of look into that stuff. And like again, if that person is going to force you to capitulate and tell you, no, 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 don't get out of my horse blinders, that should kind of give you uh, an answer. Yeah, like if you're running for our political office, you should probably be able to refute an argument on any given topic at a moment's notice. But for the rest of us, it's okay to step away and say, yeah, I don't really know about this. I'd love to talk about this. I need to do my homework first. Yeah. Well, that doesn't sound right to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into that. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's always good to take a step back and to be a little bit like slower to be more accurate. Yeah, speed and truth are not one and the same. So the quote of the week for this week is a good year ender and a year beginner. And it's from John C. Maxwell. And it is live to learn and you will really learn to live. And so rather than asking why this is resonant, because I think it's obvious, I'd like to ask, what are some of the most important things or the one most important thing that you learned this year? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, look, I, I had to learn about some health stuff that, that I was dealing with and, you know, that I hadn't had before. And I had to learn how to manage that and what triggered it or, or otherwise. So I think there's been a lot of stuff, particularly in the post COVID world where people are dealing with different symptoms or otherwise. And so like anything, I'll just throw myself into that subject and try to understand it and try to understand what's the medical side, what's the homeopathic side or otherwise. So I, I generally, when I get involved in in something new that I have to, I kind of throw myself uh, into it and I really try to understand something from all perspectives. Like that's part of living in life and things change. So I, my focus is just to move forward with, with the information that you have in the current situation and then figure out everything you can do to, to make the best of it. Very well said. And a, a good sentiment to kick off the new year. So do you want to take us home? Sure. So thanks for listening to everyone. Uh, we are going to be back with a full year of weekend conversations. Uh, we tried it off as a test in Q4, and uh, we've had great feedback. So we're excited to, to make that permanent. If you want to check out the post that we discussed today, go to robertglazer.substack.com and look for the post titled Final Four. Again, look out for future editions of Weekend Conversations. They will show up in your podcast feed or app on Saturday morning. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the Elevate podcast, make sure to follow or subscribe so you get the latest episodes directly. Until next time, keep elevating and happy new year. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. 
There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.